Hey everybody, welcome to the Threadcast. This is Ryan Smith, pastor of Common Thread Church. Uh, this is our podcast where we dive deeper into each week uh, the study that we're, we're getting into. And we're in Romans right now. And so we are uh, diving into, we're kind of reading Romans backwards. Um, if you're just jumping in with us, it's a little bit different. We're using a book um, that we're excited about that's kind of guiding our way. Uh, it's, it's, it's entitled <laughs> Reading Romans Backwards, um, and it's by a guy named Scott McKnight. Um, you're welcome to get that book and join us with it as well, but um, it's kind of uh, helping us see the purpose of, of Romans and, and the story that, that, that Paul is telling with this idea of we want to replace the concept of power and privilege with the peace of Christ, and what does that look like um, back then, and what does it look like for us now? And so... Uh, we are jumping in today, and I'll tell a little bit more about where at where we're at. But first, I want to share a little story I found. Um, it's 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 titled "Keeping the Faith," and it's just a short little story. And it says this: A Roman Catholic priest told of his encounter with a mugger in a dark alley in back of the church at Notre Dame. As the priest was making his way down the alley to his parked car, a man suddenly emerged from the shadows, thrusting the muzzle of a revolver into his ribs, demanding, hand me your wallet. Offering no words of protest, the priest immediately began to comply. As he reached into his side pocket, his clerical collar became evident in the dim light, catching the robber off guard. Are you a priest? He explained. Yes, I am, the priest replied. Oh, I don't rob priests, the thief responded. I'm Catholic, too. Greatly relieved, the priest... The priest withdrew a cigar from his inside pocket and offered it to the penitent thief. Oh no, I can't do that, the thief explained. I've given them up for lint. This thief was a man of convictions, which he refused to violate. <laughs> uh, I love that story. No no, no poking fun of Catholics or anything like that at all, because um, we're all there, right? We, we, have, we all have convictions, right? We all have things that we hold to and things that uh, we don't hold to, right? And if we, if we held them up into a mirror and looked at them tightly, we would see that there's probably just as much hypocrisy in those as well. But there is this concept of conviction, things that we do hold dear to, right? And especially here in the States, um, right now, convictions are running rampant, right? Um, whether it's a uh, theological or whether it's political. You know, there's there's just so much going on that I'm, I'm holding deeply to this, right? I've got to draw this line in the sand. Well, the section we're in in Romans today talks deeply about this. We're in Romans uh, chapter 14, and, and, we're, and, and as we read through it backwards, we're not going to do it chapter by chapter perfectly, and we'll kind of share that here in a little bit, but one, we just don't have time to cover it all. So today we're covering Romans 14, verses 1, and then all the way to fifth, chapter 15, verse 13. So Romans 14, 1, 15 through 13. And the title of this section is called The Strong and the Weak. And here's what, if you are if you are listening to this podcast and you have not read this section of scripture like recently, you need to stop this podcast right now and, and at least read it. Go to BibleGateway.com, whatever it is, you can, you can pull it up and it'll read it to you. Um, but whatever it is, but I need you to kind of marinate in that section because I'm not going to have time to read through all of it because there's so much in this section um, that we can't cover. But there's a lot that I'm going I'm to you're going to need to have read and, and understand as we walk through this a bit. So pause the podcast right now and then um, and then come back to it and, and you can jump in with us. All right, thanks for doing that. Uh, now that you are refreshed in uh, in Romans 14.1 through 15.13, um, I want to talk a little bit about this. It's called the strong and the weak. 
And the most significant factor in reading Romans is understanding the identity of the strong and the weak in this section. This is um, this is something that's very important. And when you read Scripture, um, context is everything. Context, um, you know, is one of these words that we use a lot, and sometimes we understand, but we don't understand it. But it's basically it's understanding what the original writer wanted the original readers to understand. So you have to understand what's going on in that situation before you can ever start applying it to ourselves. Um, and so this is this is key to, to knowing what's going on with this conversation of the strong and the weak. And so this section is about um, the believers in Rome. And I want you to understand this. Um, the Romans, we are not dealing with people who do not consider themselves believers in this in this study. Um, you get, they're welcome to be a part of this, but this is a specific conversation that you're having in house. Okay, and so a lot of things that we talk about here apply to family, if you will. Um, and so you need to understand that because there's there's some things that apply to family and some things that don't. And so we're going to need to understand that as we keep moving through this. So, But this section is about the believers in the city of Rome learning to be siblings with every other believer in town. So the instruction to the weak and the strong are the core of Paul's lived theology or the aim of his entire letter. And so this, this understanding this is going to dictate how we read the rest of Romans. You see how important this is and why I want you to, if you, I know that I know, I know one of you, I know you did not stop and, and go read the section. So stop the podcast right now and go read it because it's important. Okay. You got it. All right. So the thing you need to understand is that, is that when we, when we analyze who the strong and the weak are, we can, we can, we can put different people into place. We can think about it, but, but really you need to understand that they are real groups at odds with one another, okay? And you need to understand that, that there have been discussions on the division of who these people are, you know, um, and so much thought has been put into this um, as to how many, you know, could, could you divide this up into different ways? And, and the truth is, um, there's probably some in this group that were some that were strong, that might be stronger, and some that were weak that might be weaker, right? And so not everyone pledge allegiance to one party, right, uh, to, to the strong or the weak. But uh, just like there's not just plain black and white, you know, not everything is is, is clear cut in life, right? Um, so if we had so, such simplistic dismissals of a two-party argument, it's not wise um, in approaching this. So um, life is messy, right? Um, it is now, it was then, and we need to acknowledge that when we have these discussions like this, that this is a messy conversation, that when we talk about the strong and the weak, um, it's not just that group or this group. And what's kind of interesting, um, if, if you've studied this before, if you've heard of this section before, a lot of times um, we will put ourselves in the strong conversation, right? Um, that we're in that camp or uh, you know, that we don't see ourselves as weak. And you're going to understand that what's kind of interesting about this passage is a lot of times what we'll say the people who are strong are the ones who are biblical, right? The ones who who follow the Bible. But as we're going to see here in a minute, uh, the ones that are weak actually in this passage are the ones that are holding to the Bible. 
Um, and that's kind of an interesting conversation. And this is not a judgment on the stronger the weak. And I want you to hear that. This is not a judgment on one or the other. This is actually acknowledging that there are two different groups of people um, that are nuanced, that are trying to live together, and they're at odds, right? And so as we define the strong and the weak, we need to look first at Paul's mission. Um, Paul's mission, when he, his whole mission, once he, he saw the light and he changes, his name was changed to Paul and he began this mission, his goal was simply to establish church in the Roman Empire, that the empire is made up of Jews, Gentiles, slaves, free, males, and females. That he was, he did not have any boundaries in place. That he simply wanted to grow the borders of God's kingdom. And it was no longer bound just by this Jewish nation concept. And so that's who he's working with. And that's what he started to do is building these kingdoms, building these churches. But everywhere he began to build, almost immediately, tensions always rose up. Um, And so he always had this fear of camps or teams or denominations growing, right? And usually it was one one that was Jewish and one that was Gentile. Um, But his message was always one of peace. And so um, I want to first talk a little bit about the the group of the weak. Um, And I want to assume... They were Jewish, uh, and, and there's a lot. That, I just want to say this real quick as we go into this. There's so much packed into this, this verse um, in these sections that we're looking at, and I'm not going to come close to covering all of it. And so hopefully, um, as I talk through this, as we work through this, you're going to be prompted to think, yeah, but what about this? What about this? And because I don't address it doesn't mean I'm hiding from it or I don't want you to address it. I simply don't have time to address it. And so if you have questions, dive deeper. Or if you need help knowing where to dive deeper, let me know and we can, we can, I can point you in the right direction and we can do it together. So I want us to assume that the weak group is the Jewish group of believers in the Roman house churches. Um, that when when Paul is referring to the weak um, people, that he's referring to the Jewish group of believers in Rome. And again, remember, these are believers, right? It's not the Jewish people in Rome. It's the Jewish group of people who call themselves believers that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And so what this means is that the weak, they had the Bible and the history on their side. Because you see, the Jewish people for centuries, literally centuries, had been the elected group of people by God that that they have all this history of of their people of of carrying forth God's name and and that God had chosen them to be be the elected one and as now followers of Jesus they also had proof that the line that the genealogy of Jesus follows all the way to Abraham Abraham right and so the weak actually had the Bible and history in their corner as they're going into argument, right? Because it's about argument, right? Between the strong and the weak convictions. And so for the Jewish people, their number one guideline was Torah observance. Now the word Torah was simply, we replaced that with the word Bible. It was, the Torah was the first five books of the Old Testament, but that was their Bible, right? And so for the Jewish people, their identity was based in how well they followed the Torah. Um, and this would have been true even as believers in Jesus as the Messiah. So Torah observance shaped the identity of the weak in the Rome in Rome. Um, so as, so as a Jesus believer 
and Torah observer, it would be easy to see yourself as always being in the right, that you've always been right all along because because you can show where the Bible says it's true. It's always been true. And see, here it is. And there you have it. Um, so it'd be easy for the weak to think that they were God's elect as well. Um, and I want you to hear this. Um, you know, it could be easy to say, oh, well, that's so that's so arrogant of them, right? Um, but you need to understand for centuries, passed down from generation to generation, they've been told that God had chosen them to be unique and to be one, uh, that they were the one that were going to save the world. And now, uh, you know, now you, not only are you from that lineage, but now you've, you've seen the light and you see that the Messiah has actually came and you follow Jesus. And so if you were, if your generation was right then, then how much more right must you be now? And those other ones, anybody that believes different from me, from me now, they must be wrong. I am part of a long lineage of God people, right? I mean, you can just feel um, how much strength that would bring into an argument, right? Um, but that's that's what's going on here. And so the, the, the strong would have been the Gentile believers. The, the strong would have been the ones who um, didn't have that history. Um, they didn't have um, that lineage. And so this is not just a conversation about theology. It's also a conversation about ethnicity. And what we need to understand is that those things can't just be segregated. Um, that there, there's something that, that's going on here, that there's something that is married into that. And so as it talks about the strong and the weak, and as you've read this already, as you just did already, um, there's words that come up, right? It talks about despise, you know, the, that you don't despise someone. And, and it's this Greek word of disdain to treat someone as having no status or merit or worth and to perceive someone as beneath your consideration or, or to consider, you know, use the word weak. Um, there's a word here that says crino and it says that they would sit in judgment on someone or something that has the sense of playing the part of God and rendering a person's condemnation. And so there's words being used like this of people who, who I disdain that other person, or I judge that other person for thinking a certain way. And, and these are, these are words that are used to, they're not just like flippant words, because a lot of times when we talk about this passage, we use this passage to talk about minor things. Oh, these are for the minor arguments. You know, if we're going to fight over what carpet to use in the church or what Bible version or whatever it might be, you know, that yeah, this is what this verse is for. But really what we need to understand, the context of this passage is this is deep uh, ethnic theological hurts that are going on. And so when words like disdain, despise, and judgment is being used, it is it is personal. It is deep. It is, it is everything I stand on. And what this is really applying to is what Paul is always about. It's not just theology. It's not just what you believe. It's lived theology. It's what you actually do with what you believe. And what's happening here in this conversation, in this fight between the weak and the strong, is that their lives are excluding each other. That their lives are excluding each other. Even though they're a part of a small house church, they're already excluding each other. And that kind of life is their theology. And that life of that theology is, is a life of verbal crucifixion of the other person. 
And this is what Paul, Paul is attacking, is that is that, that can't exist in Jesus' kingdom. That your theology cannot, cannot be something that's lived out that's like this. And so, what's interesting is that both their takes, the weak and the strong, on the issues are convincing to themselves, right? So the strong are liberated from the Torah. We, you know, we, we, we're not bound by the, the, uh, the traditions of the past, you know, and so anything that, that is spoken there, then I don't have to do that. And so they feel liberated by that. But the weak are faithful to the Torah, and so, so they see this is, this is letter of the law, so I have to do it. So every time they bring it up, they're fully con- convinced that what they are saying is right, and they are completely at odds with one another. So, uh, just a quick recap. The weak are Jewish believers who are in the stream of God's election, who know the Torah, who practice the Torah, and still probably attend synagogue, but who sit in judgment on Gentiles, especially the strong in the Christian community in Rome. And the strong are predominantly Gentiles who believe in Jesus as Messiah or King, who do not observe Torah as the will of God for them, and who have condescending and despising attitudes probably toward Jews, but especially to Jewish believers in Jesus. This understanding of the strong, too, um, is going to be expanded as we go through this. Now, I want to read something that that Scott McKnight writes uh, about this. He says this, The tension in Rome cannot be reduced to theological differences. The tension is at the level of lived theology and status. The irony of the strong and the weak in Rome is that both claimed privilege. The weak claimed their covenant heritage while the strong claimed their higher status in the city of Rome. We can add a singularly important element to our definitions of weak and strong. If the food is the unclean food of the pagan temple, if there is an ethnic reality to the weak, or the Jewish, and strong, predominantly Gentile, there is also a status issue. So here we move from a claim of privilege to that of power. So like in Romans 15.1, it reads, We who are strong ought to put up with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. So notice it is the strong who are told to welcome. Why? Power and privilege and status and location are on their side. It is the weak who need to be welcomed. The act of the strong welcoming the weak is a Christ-like act of crossing boundaries and turning no status into Christ's status. It is to say, because we are strong and have privilege and power, we will not broker our power to divide the faith community, but we will disempower ourselves to empower each sibling at the table and so live out the gospel of Christ. These are all Scott McKnight's words, and I just love them to death. This idea of what it talks about, you know, of, of how the strong are asked um, to welcome and how they welcome. And then he has one last paragraph I want to read to you. It says, yes, Paul is an equal criticism, criticism kind of apostle. He has harsh words for both strong and weak and encouraging words for both weak and strong. What is noticeable for Paul and this is one element of Paul's that baffles me when I hear people say nasty things about Paul's teachings, is this. He does not expect everyone to be on the same page. If the weak want to avoid pork, that's fine with Paul. 
If the strong want to eat pork offered to idols, that's fine too. If there is anything distinct about Paul's lib theology, it is right here. He may be strong, and he may think Torah observance is not necessary even for Jews who believe in Jesus, but he does not demand that all Christians have the same lib theology when it comes to Torah observance, which means what he is against is demanding uniformity on this issue of Torah observance. The operative terms for Paul are welcome one another to the table as siblings. The whole letter is found in that imperative. And so this conversation of the strong and the weak is not one about small issues. They're actually about deep issues. And the thing that you need to see in what Paul is teaching and bringing in this book of Romans is not uniformity, but peace an invitation to everyone sitting at the table as siblings, as equals. Man, you need to just sit in that because if you've grown up in church at all, we've heard this verse before, but we've always done it with the context of, yeah, that's nice, but that's only you know, that's only for like the, the little small things. But you need to, if you dive deeper into what's going on here, the weak and the strong, these aren't small things that they're dealing with. These are, these are, deep heritage, cultural, theological things they've studied for some of them for their whole life and for centuries before that they hold to, but now are being asked to release. And Paul's emphasis is on the uniformity. Paul's emphasis is on the idea of what it means to be one, that that is what's going to be the, the indicator of what God's kingdom is going to be like in the Roman Empire. So, what do we do with this? I have about um, seven points. <laughs> seven points that I want to hit on real quick um, as to just something to think about um, as we go through this. Because, and you're, you're going to, you could come up with 20 points or 20 more if you wanted to, but I want to give you seven kind of conversations, something to think about um, with convictions. First off, Convictions do not define, our convictions do not define what is right or wrong. God is the one that does that. Um, That just because we are convicted by something does not mean that it's actually an eternal truth that God has established. You need to hear that. Um, Our convictions, no matter how deep they are and no matter how biblical we think they are, does not mean that they are from God. Secondly, It still means, though, that convictions are necessary. Because if sometimes when we start having conversations like this, we'll be like, well, Ryan, why do we need to believe anything, right? What's what's the point of this? Um, And hopefully you'll you'll dive deeper into that a little bit more. But there are still convictions are necessary. The third thing, convictions, convictions are a matter of faith. And we should only do what we have faith in. Um, as you read through this passage, you're going to see that having your conviction is important, but he says that you don't do anything unless you're convicted or lets you have faith in it. If you do something without having that faith in it, then you are, are, are just as wrong as not having any convictions at all. Um, so there's that part. Number four, convictions are private and internal. Um, and so this idea is that is that it's not my job 
to make you have the same conviction I have. You know, again, this is where Paul is pushing back from uniformity, that he, he's asking us to have convictions. He's asking us to seek and to study and, and to know why we believe what we believe. But there is this sense also that my convictions are, are, are internal, are, are, are me. Um, and it's not my job or your job to make sure that we are on the same conviction trail, if you will. Um, so that's, that's number four to think about. And number five, the practice of convictions is not private and free. Now here's where this might start slapping you in the face a little bit if it hasn't already. Um, just because you believe something doesn't give you the freedom to live it out. Um, that, that is not in this passage. You have the freedom, the conviction, uh, or the freedom um, in Christ to, to not be bound by things. Um, and you have the, the freedom to believe, to have these convictions. But just because you have that conviction doesn't give you the right, um, you know, to, to live it out. You know, uh, you know, there's a lot of conversation here in the States these days that I have the God-given right to, you know, fill in the blank. And that I can, you, you're taking away my freedom too. And what you hear in this passage is just because you have the freedom to do it doesn't mean you have the right to do it. Um, there's some interesting conversations about that, right? But the sixth one is this, is that we are called to surrender our liberties to the weaker. <laughs> so you have convictions and you can, they're private and eternal and you can live out those convictions. But in reality, when in community, we're called to surrender our liberties our convictions to the weaker. And a lot of times, if you've grown up in church, what'll happen is that the stronger, the ones who are more biblical, usually are the ones who control the church, right? They're the ones, if uh, they're the wiser, the ones who've been around. And there's, there's, there's truth to it, and there's reason to that. But a lot of times is that churches will, will build their programs or what they do based off the strong and not the weak. And so they build what they do around the strong. And here it's saying, no, 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 no. The strong should surrender their liberties to the weaker. So how do we do that? Um, how do we do that? And that's just my last point. I want to refer you to, to verse 15. It simply says this. If your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. And so the first way, the first criteria for, for what it means to, to surrender to the weaker is that you do it out of love. And then it says, do not by your eating destroy someone from whom Christ died. This is a tough one. I want you guys to hear this. The second criteria for for what it means to surrender uh, your liberties to the weaker is that if what your freedom is allowing you to do destroys or hurts someone else, then you need to let it go. If what you're doing hurts somebody who is following Christ, remember, this is all about people who believe in Christ, right? But if someone has given their life to Christ and they say they are claiming the name of Jesus of Nazareth, then it is our duty to surrender to them if, it, if what we are doing is hurting them. Now, there are all kinds of applications to that, right? 
And I'm not even going to open the, the can of worms there. You guys get to wrestle with that. But those are some things to think on. And I want us to think, you know, he leaves a goal here. And this is verse 19. He says, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. This is the book of Romans. Romans has used so much time to do so much hurt and pain in the church. But in reality, the goal of Romans is to bring peace and mutual edification. And that's, that's why we're talking about this now before we jump into the first sections of Romans, because we want you to understand this is what Paul is about, is bringing peace, replacing the power and privilege, the power of the, of the strong or the weak, the power of who thinks they have it right, and replacing that with peace and mutual edification, that that is the ultimate goal, not the goal of getting it right. So I want to leave you with the words that Paul writes um, at the end of, of this section in 15. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have a great day. Grace and peace.